Welcome to another podcast from Best Self Magazine, the leading voice for self-empowerment, holistic health, and authentic living. Vani Hari, otherwise known as the Food Babe, is a revolutionary food activist and New York Times best-selling author. She was named one of the 30 most influential people on the internet by Time Magazine. This reformed sugar addict, soda drinking, fast food eater went from starting a food blog in 2011, documenting her own journey to health, to calling the big food industry to task. She is a woman on a mission for truth and transparency from the food industry and those who regulate it. Profiled worldwide everywhere from the New York Times, the Atlantic, Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal, and appearing on major television networks alike, from CBS News, CNN, Fox News, and programs like The Dr. Oz Show, she has initiated a movement of accountability and enlisted a mass of supporters in excess of a million called the Food Babe Army. Vani is the founder of Truvani, a startup company offering real food without chemicals, products without toxins, and labels without lies. In her latest book, Feeding You Lies, How to Unravel the Food Industry's Playbook and Reclaim Your Health, she blows the lid off what goes on behind the scenes. More importantly, she paves a new way of thinking for us all to approach our own health options. She shines the light so that we can become our own nutritional advocates and truth detectors. Bonnie, thank you for sitting down with Best Self Magazine today and for inviting us into your home and for your crusading voice in the world. And before I start, I just wanna tell you that long before there was a Best Self Magazine, a friend of mine who is a nurse and an RN and a nutritionist, Lisa Inglesby, introduced me to your work. And, you know, to think that at that point where I was just um, on my own journey of connecting the dots of body, mind, and spirit and, and, and the role that food plays in that, that I would be sitting here with you today is such an honor for me. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here, it is just a pleasure to have you in my home. I've been a, a big fan of you and what you're bringing through Best Self, and it's just a magical to watch it all unfold, so I really appreciate you as well. Well, thank you, and this is a long, a long time in the making because I've wanted to sit down with you for a while, but I gotta tell you, we've got a lot to unpack. So for anyone in our audience that isn't familiar with your work, I would love it if you could just give us a little bit of background. Um, you know, let's just take us through, you know, you know how fast food, ended up in a hospital bed and ended up becoming a, a food maven. And, you know, and also to that point, just wanted to ask you, um, like, was there an event, you know, like what happened that sort of like finally connected you to food as the source? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up here in Charlotte, North Carolina with two immigrant Indian parents. And the first thing my dad actually introduced my mom to after they had an arranged marriage in India and came here for their honeymoon was a McDonald's hamburger. He's like, if we're gonna live <laughs> in America, we're gonna eat like Americans. And that's how I was raised, is we were you know, one of the only Indian families in my school growing up, and I wanted to eat what everybody else around me was eating. And so I completely shunned my mother's homemade cooking, which the only thing she really knew how to cook from scratch was Indian food, the way she had been taught her whole life. And so I wanted to eat the chicken nuggets and the Salisbury steak and the, you know, the mozzarella sticks out of the fry daddy and all of that kind of stuff that my, you know, peers were eating growing up. And I, you know, the food that my mom was making smelled funny and it was weird tasting and my brother wouldn't eat it. And so I just, you know, lived on this processed food lifestyle and we ate a lot of fast food probably three or four times a week if not more because it was cheap and it was available and my dad you know and my mom didn't really understand what was happening with the american food supplier the nutritional content behind this food because this was never an issue where they needed to even learn about it in india right. because everything was made from scratch there everything had medicinal spices and it was really truly healthy and as a result i was very sick as a child. I had eczema, asthma, allergies, was always at the doctors, getting a prescription drug, going on antibiotics. I was just, a, you know, a sickly child, just always didn't want to go to school. I just remember like always trying to miss school to not go to school because I never felt well. And um, it wasn't until my early twenties where I hit 
just completely rock bottom. I was working for a big six consulting firm and it was this really high powered job where they give you an expense account and you're traveling all over the place and they're catering breakfast, lunch, and dinner in so that you can just eat through these different meals so that you can bill hours to the client. And I was really just like letting my food be outsourced by this company, by this work, and just, you know, trying to succeed. And I was had a lot of ambition. And when you have Indian parents, you know, they expect you to get a good job and, you know, 401k and, and get, you know, health insurance and do all of these things. And I just, you know, just kind of was trying to live up to that idea. And as a result, my health just went down in the toilet. I not only gained the close to 40 pounds, I uh, just felt horrible about myself. I ended up in the hospital with appendicitis. And uh, even to this day, they think, you know, appendicitis is something that just happens randomly to people. But it's, it's really, you know, it's an organ in your body that is connected to your digestive system. And when it becomes inflamed, that's when, you know, you have to usually have an appendectomy to get it out. Yeah, they're like, just take it out. <laughs> yeah, and they, they also say, you know, you don't need it, right? You right. don't need it. But the, right. the science today actually talks about how you do need your appendix to actually produce this beneficial gut bacteria for your body and probiotics. And, you know, it's so amazing what what's happened in terms of, my own understanding of even these like basic concepts that we've been taught in the medical system. Right. But going through this experience, recovering, and it taking me over a month to recover when it was a time period of celebration and joy. It was December uh, of 2001, 2002, sorry. Okay. Uh, it's just, I want to get the date right because it was such a monumental moment. Um, because right, right after that, I just made a commitment to myself and I said, you know what? I'm not going to let any boss, job, or anything get in my way. I'm going to be just healthy. I'm going to learn how to be healthy. I'm going to take control of my food. And the first thing I did was just channel all this energy that I had learned in high school, where I was a top tier debater, was nationally ranked, was you know recruited to college. That's no surprise to me. <laughs> that came in handy. Yeah, it did. It actually did come in handy, right, with my career now. But back then, you know, when I was doing debate, we didn't have Google, we didn't have the right. internet to just like go find information. We right. had to go like do the legwork, go to these law libraries, and you know, go to the microfiche and print all this stuff out and carry it in big tubs of evidence all across the country to all these debate tournaments. And one year was healthcare actually when I was in high school and I was learning all of these topics about health and using that to win debate rounds, but I wasn't using, like applying any of that information to my own body or my own seeds. Yeah, it was, it was planting seeds. And, and so I started to kind of channel that energy and was like, you know, I need to figure this nutrition thing out. And one of the first books that I came across was Gabriel Cousin's Conscious Eating. And it's this big, thick book, and I still have it today. And it's, it's still such an amazing Bible on like how to eat. And one of the concepts that he talks about in there is that the majority of foods on shelves in grocery stores are dead food. It's dead processed food. It doesn't, it's not alive. It doesn't look, really serve any nutritional purpose for your body, really. It, it doesn't really give you life. And that really rang home with me. And so I started to look into it a little deeper and started to investigate. And I just became very curious about the ingredients that I'd been eating and the foods that I had been taught were healthy that I made part of my daily diet. You know, one of these foods was uh, Chick-fil-A. Um, it was considered a healthier, clean fast food. And so I ate it all the time. I was like, you know, I'm not eating at McDonald's, but I'll eat Chick-fil-A. But it wasn't until I started to investigate and really understand what was behind some of these fast food items that a lot of these ingredients that make up these different fast foods, even the ones that are claimed healthy or safe or, or cleaner, were really the same chemicals that you'd find at McDonald's, Wendy's, Burger King, etc. And so when I started to figure this stuff out, I realized I had to tell people. And the first people I told were the people around me and the people working with me in the corporate world. I continued to soar in my career as a consultant. Uh, I was one of the highest paid consultants in a lot of the different banks that I worked in. And in my groups, it, it, was, it was just, you know, my career was really taking off and I loved it. But what I found was that my passion for health became more important. And my passion for writing became more important after I started foodbabe.com. Everybody must have thought you were nuts. They did. They did. And, yeah. and uh, everyone from the executives that I worked for, because I, I worked for like C-level executives, to the people who were sitting next to me in the cubicle farm, like right. basically they're like, what is this green drink you're bringing in? What are you doing? And, and what's a blog? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> and what's a blog? Mm -hmm. And I remember when I started it, 
I didn't want to put my identity on it, like my face and my name. So I, you know, I hid behind this name Food Babe because I was still in this corporate environment working for these big financial institutions. I didn't want my boss, like my true boss, to like understand that I had this other passion behind the scenes and like doing all of this work. But because I was so passionate about it, people started writing about it. You know, right. it was profiled in newspapers and or my local paper, and they wanted me on the cover of my local magazine. And, and you you're know, like, I can't do this with a paper bag over my head, so I guess I'm outing myself. <laughs> yeah. And now, what was the so? How did you finally say, okay, that's it, I'm well, doing it? It was right after I got a phone call from um, in an email from Chick Fil A headquarters after I had written. Don't about go them. to. I'm going to give that whole list. I got to get to that. I got to make sure they know what you did. <laughs> it was after that point where food companies started to contact me and they say, like, please go away. Go yeah. Away. Like, what do you need to go away? No, yeah. no they, were, they were like, you know, how can we improve? We see that you've started a fire. We see that our consumers are concerned. Um, what can we do? And a lot of, a lot of food companies were very willing to like invite me in and, and hear me out. Okay, cool. There were many that didn't. Right. And so we had to invoke other measures, petitions and other things to, to make that happen. But it was shortly after that, that I realized that I was taking off work to go fly to different food corporations to get them to convince them to change their policies that I realized that, whoa, 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 I, this is way more important stuff than I'm doing at the bank over here. Like, this is not, the bank stuff is not my calling. And I was reading um, Daniel Laporte's Firestarter Sessions at the time, and I was traveling over the Christmas break, and it was the day the world was supposed to end, December 21st, 2012. Mm -hmm. You know, the Mayan calendar, the auspicious day. We were actually on top of Machu Picchu that day, and I got an email from my boss saying that my project was ending, and if I wanted to, to submit a proposal to continue to being a consultant at that financial institution. And you're like, oh. And I just looked over at my husband and said, hey, I'm doing food paid full-time. I'm not doing this anymore. And he, you know, I expected him to say, how are we going to pay the mortgage? <laughs> Who's going to pay the How are we going to buy our like, organic food? Yeah, exactly. Right? And instead he said, what have you been waiting for? You know, what have you been waiting for? That's so great. And at that moment, I had his permission. I felt like I had permission from the gods, you know, and... It's all lined up. And I, you know, I get back, like, you know, from my, from my trip in January, and, and it's the beginning of 2013, and I'm like, you know what? What am I going to do now? And I'm like, how am I going to survive? Like, I need to figure out a way to make money doing this. I got to figure out what the next investigation is. And as soon as I put 100% of my energy and focus on this passion, it opened up just the Pandora's box of changes we were able to um, convince the food industry to enact. And it started with a petition that I started online um, to get Kraft to remove artificial food dyes. Uh, that petition went viral. It had over 300,000 signatures. I went to the Kraft headquarters to deliver those petitions. They wouldn't listen to us. And eventually, you know, they, they, they listened, and now there's no artificial food dyes in Kraft. But. So, yes, to that point, I want to make sure we don't gloss over this because I have a list of things. Because I think this is really important that if I read some of these accomplishments, our audience will really um, absorb what your mission has been. And um, so you and your food babe army have been responsible for um, getting Subway fast food chains to remove the yoga mat chemical from their bread, to get Kraft to pull food dyes from their kids' mac and cheese products. Chick-fil-A went antibiotic free after you stormed their headquarters with 200,000 petitions. Anheuser-Busch oh, and Miller's course. So that just needs to be corrected, sorry. Um, Chick-fil-A, there was no petition for. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was just out of my meetings with them. Oh, good. Yeah, Go yeah. Chick-fil-A. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors agreed to publish their ingredients. Starbucks removed a caramel coloring chemical from their pumpkin spice latte. Chipotle did away with some GMO ingredients. And Panera Bread got rid of 150 artificial additives. And I just wanted to really read that list because that's some of amongst many, but these are brands that people will recognize and that they relate to and that they probably frequent. When did you realize the power of your voice that not only you could do something, that you had to do something and um, that we could enforce change and, and hold these companies accountable? I think my curiosity about ingredients 
and me sharing my own experience and using examples of like, you know, the reason why I even looked into Subway is because my friend Wes, who worked with me um, at my job, ate it every single day for lunch. And I was like, you know, and he was asking why I didn't want to go there. And I'm like, that just tastes really processed. And he's like, well, I, you convinced me, you know, why I shouldn't go here. And I'm like, okay, I'll investigate that, right? And that's when I found out that they were using a chemical here in the United States in their bread and not elsewhere across the world because it's banned because it's a very controversial chemical mm -hmm. and it, you know, turns into a carcinogen when it's heated, you know, all of these different things. And so, you know, when I started to, to write about these topics, a lot of it hadn't been written about before online. You know, we didn't really have, you know, social media to carry this message either. And so because my ideas were so new and so bold in terms of just the truth and the honesty that I shared on foodbabe.com and not afraid to really just put it all in black and white, um, I think the community out there who was reading really appreciated that and they also lived up to the challenge of sharing it and, and making sure the people that they love knew this information and because the Food Babe Army is just this amazing group of people that not only care about their own health, they care about everyone's health. They were willing to just share this information in a viral way that made these companies have to do something about it because they no longer could hide behind this cloak of secrecy about what's really in their food. Mm -hmm. So this amazing book, which is about to, it's, it's like hot off the publishing, publishing presses, will be released by the time we, we go live with this. It's like you, it's mighty and packs a punch. You know, and I've been following you and I've read your other books and I read your blogs. The thing that's so amazing about this book to me is that you just call it all out and it's not like you're making unsubstantiated claims. You are doing, you're doing the math for us. You're calling out the names, you're calling out the big food companies, you're calling out the front groups, you're calling out the people that are regulating or not regulating or everything that's going on in the underbelly. It's all there. You've basically assembled the roadmap for people to choose what they want to do with this information. You're kicking the hornet's nest here, yeah. you know? But it's undeniable. These are undeniable facts. Yeah. And like you said, we were talking off camera, so tell me about the end notes in the back of the book. Yeah, so, you know, I went through hours and hours and hours of law review of my book because um, not only the publisher, but, you know, just to protect myself as well of any legal issues with any of the statements that I make in this book, because I, I'm not only talking about ingredients and chemicals, like that was all about, you know, that was in my first book. I talk about the ingredients and chemicals right. in food and how to get your body clean of those. This book is really about the manipulations, the tactics that the food industry uses to continue to use those chemicals in our food supply, to continue to convince us that their products are safe, that they use to convince the public that they need to focus somewhere else rather than really reducing the amount of food that they consume from these different manufacturers like Coca-Cola. This book is really the um, behind the scenes information that you need to know as a consumer. So when you see a headline that says something, you know whether you need to, you need to go through some investigation of yourself and uh, go in and see who are the experts being quoted about this this new health information you know are these people being paid by the industry you know are these people part of these front groups or trade groups that represent uh, the corporations and so I take the reader through each level of um, tactic that the mm -hmm. food use, food industry uses in their playbook so that they, they can arm themselves with the knowledge of like how to look for this stuff. You know, a great example of this that happened recently is there was a huge headline that said coconut oil is unhealthy. And it was everywhere. It was everywhere from like the front page of the USA Today to just about everywhere online. And people were sharing this article voraciously because there has been such a, you know, um, increase of coconut oil users. Right. It's you healthy. Know. It's not healthy. Yeah, yeah. And like people have been confusion. using Yeah. And so 
there was this, this article that came out that was like, you know, it's unhealthy. And because it was um, funded by the American Heart Association, just about every press writer, little, little red it, it got into it. every, every um, news publication. And because it was in every news publication, my mother even saw it and she's texting me. She probably saw it on Facebook too. And she's like, I told you so. She's like, I hated it anyway. She doesn't, she's just never liked the taste of coconut right. oil, right? And she's just a good old butter fan, right? And um, which butter is really good for you too of certain kinds. Right. But, you know, she's even texting me and I'm like, you know what? I need to look into this. And, you know, what I found is that the two people that were actually making, you know, reviewed the studies, they cherry picked the information to look at just saturated fat alone, not really looking at what coconut oil is, which is a completely different kind of saturated fat. And not only that, they were being paid by the canola and corn industry behind the scenes um, to advocate for them. So it's, it, you have to look beyond these headlines that you see in the media about health and what we should be eating. And we can't outsource our nutrition decisions to corporations that are, you know, using propaganda to make us believe in buying right. their food. So the power of the internet. But again, isn't it ironic that in this, in this day and age, this information highway, it's actually more confusing and we literally need to be forensic scientists and detectives to navigate our way way through this it's like it's become more complicated not less yes. you know what i mean yeah absolutely i would like it also if you could just explain what front groups are yeah absolutely so front groups are groups that sound very third party very independent they have long beautiful names like the american council of science and health and you think that they're like this nonprofit right. organization that has independent that is completely you know has your best interest at heart when in all actuality they're actually being funded behind the scenes secretly by the chemical and food industry and this happens all right. the time, not only in the food industry, but in a lot of different industries. Right. Yeah. And you also deal with some of the surprises um, that di you dive into diet foods and, and the myths that they're actually, you know, that they're actually linked to gaining weight. Of course, we can't bypass sugar, and, yeah. you know, which is essentially the toughest drug to, to quit. You know, but while I was reading it, I thought... How ironic, you know, when I think back to days when I thought giving my son vitamin water or Gatorade at his sporting events was a healthy alternative. Yeah, and meanwhile, the, the Gatorade companies of the world are really funding the false notion that our kids are dehydrated, that they right. need these drinks. Oh, right, of course, the dehydration. So we thought, oh, we're, we're hydrating, and yeah. it's healthy, yeah. and they're happy. It's full of dyes and colors and sugar. No wonder they were happy, right? Yeah. The other thing that really killed me was finding out about the FDA. And in the book you state, the FDA claims that so as not to waste government resources, they will just let the manufacturer decide whether an ingredient is safe to use or not. We cannot rely on the FDA to protect us, and we certainly can't trust big food to self-police. Yeah. So yeah, there's this assumption that all of the food that is in supermarket shelves are safe, that right. it's been tested, that you know there's some regulatory body testing these chemicals and making sure they're all safe before they get into our food. No, that's just not the case. Our FDA has said many times that they're not capable of even handling that type of responsibility. They don't even have the resources to do that. And the onus is actually on the food companies themselves. And we see what happens when food companies are in charge. They do things like Crafted, which is remove artificial food dyes for people overseas where there's a warning label that's required that says may cause adverse effects on activity right. and attention in children. And instead of doing the right thing here in America, they get away with the regulation the lack of regulation, and they continue to sell us these very controversial chemicals that could be affecting our kids' health. And so, you know, if we leave it to the food companies to regulate themselves, we're not going to be able to trust them with what I find the most precious thing that we have in our life, which is our bodies. There was another surprise, um, and I remember seeing this in the news, being really excited that, oh, finally there's regulation that um, there has to be GMO labeling. Mm -hmm. And you call this out as a sham, this cryptic barcode symbols, yeah. making it virtually impossible unless right. you have a smartphone, unless you've downloaded the app, unless you can get Wi-Fi in the store, you wouldn't be able to find 
the GMO labeling, you had to scan it, in other yeah, words, correct? Absolutely, and they're still even defining what, what that's gonna look like even today. They're still trying to figure out, they're even trying to take the words genetically engineered even off of the label to like say it bio, like biotechnology friendly. They're trying to like make it more positive. And so they're even trying to, to lobby right now to even change that. And so, you know, all of the work that got involved- It's, like, it's like hidden. Get, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's, complete, it's still right. hidden. Yeah, it's still right. gonna be hidden. And so one of the things that I think is so important for people to recognize as I talk about this in depth in the book is about organic food and what it really means to be organic and all the different levels of organic and what it truly means to be non-GMO and how, you know, you see these different labels at the grocery store and you think you're buying a better product. You know, the non-GMO label is a perfect example of that. You know, this is a label that's just taken off. You know, everyone sees a little butterfly symbol or a non-GMO symbol and they say, you know what, I'm going to buy that product. Right. But what they realize is the reason why you really don't want to eat GMO foods, well, at least what I think the reason is, is because we don't want to eat the chemicals that are being sprayed on GMO foods. GMO foods are uh, the, the ones that we have pro prominently in this country have been designed to withstand heavy doses of uh, Roundup, de uh, the, the chemical that Monsanto sells that one of the main ingredients in Roundup is glyphosate that's linked to cancer. And you know those, those seeds are, are patented to withstand the heavy doses of this. And that's the reason why I don't wanna eat GMOs. But what people don't recognize is that non-GMO foods, a lot of conventional foods are also sprayed with Roundup. And so when you buy non-GMO, yes, you're not buying that patented see that that from that crop but you're still but you're getting your roundup some one way or another right you right? are yeah. and that is the type of education that i want people to to recognize and understand when they're eating a certain way or buying a certain food at a grocery store i want them to know what they're actually getting not just a label not fancy marketing that the mm -hmm. food industry uses to get you to think that their food right. is healthy Okay, so there's one thing that I don't want to gloss over. You, you made reference to this. Um, in the book, you said, do Americans care less about their health than people in other countries do? Some say so. However, I'd argue that if most Americans knew food companies are selling similar products overseas with healthier ingredients, they'd be outraged. I know I am. And I was outraged just reading it, particularly to know that there are American companies fast food companies like McDonald's who sell a certain kind of french fry here and a certain kind of french fry in the United Kingdom. And that certain kind of french fry in the United Kingdom has a lot of chemicals eliminated from it because they won't tolerate it. They mm -hmm. won't tolerate to have those things. So can you just speak about that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, here in the United States, there's a slew of chemicals that they're allowed to put in our McDonald's French fries, and they do use them. And one of those chemicals is dimethyl polysiloxane. It's the same ingredient in Silly Putty. Because all French fries need that, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's an ingredient that can be preserved with formaldehyde. So it's not a really, like, you know, safe ingredient, if you will, you know. And then in the, in the UK, McDonald's makes their French fries really basic. Potatoes oil, dextrose, which is just sugar, and then they put salt after it's fried, so you can actually determine how much salt you want in it. So it just shows you that companies are getting away with the lack of regulation here in the United States, and I think this is one of the most unethical policies that food companies have, and one of the reasons why they're not allowed to use a lot of those chemicals is because in, in Europe and other places, they have a precautionary principle. They say, you know, you've got to prove these ingredients safe before you're allowed to use it. In the United States, we have the opposite. They put the onus actually on the food companies, and, and the food companies are like, oh, well, I, you know, it's, it's safe until we figure out it's not safe. Another perfect example of an ingredient that um, is used um, here and not elsewhere is BHT. You know, BHT is an endocrine disrupting chemical. It's one of the reasons why you see um, kids go into early puberty because they are being exposed to all of these endocrine disrupting chemicals. Well, BHT is used in the liners of all these different cereals. You know, General Mills uses it, Kellogg's uses it, and they were using it here in the United States to preserve and make the shelf life extend here in the United States, but they weren't using it overseas. Right. And it, so it was 
primarily just to improve their bottom line, to increase the amount of money that they're making. And they know that BHT is regulated overseas and they know that it's an endocrine disrupting chemical based on all the science that um, nonprofit organizations have put forth, but they continue to use these chemicals. And that I feel is something that has to change. Food companies, if they can make their food the safest as possible, I think they have a moral obligation to do that. Not to mention that Americans spend two and a half times more than any, any other nation on healthcare. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And this, this includes companies like, you know, it's like Quaker Oats, Doritos, Heinz tomato ketchup, and Coca-Cola, all different there and here. Yeah. That's I mean, just outrageous. I mean, who, who hasn't went and gotten a Mexican Coke because it doesn't have high fructose corn syrup? Right. You know? The onus is not really on the food companies. Now the onus is on the food babe army. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's really yeah, yeah. the onus is yeah. on, you know. So what I really want to move to now, um, aside from all these incredible accomplishments and all this crusading and, and, and all of these tasks of holding these companies accountable, the elephant in the room is really the backlash. You have been called everything from crackpot to fear monger. And the New York Times even called you public enemy number one of food companies, which you took as a compliment. <laughs> but I don't even want to make light of it while I'm saying this because I was actually, when I was reading the book, I was thinking, you know, she's like the, the pioneer of internet trolls. But this is very serious. You have actually, um, it goes beyond the name calling. Yeah. You've had death threats. You've had um, rape threats, drive-bys at your home. And of course, the beloved internet trolls. Let's just start with them. Tell us what internet trolls are and also what astroturfing is. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was um, featured on the cover of Experience Life magazine um, back in 2014, um, I thought it was a pretty cool thing. You know, they had me fly out to LA. I had these fancy makeup artists, like makeup artists who do makeup for like Gwyneth Paltrow and other like famous celebrities. And they treated me like a queen. I mean, it was the coolest thing and ever. And let's just say they're, they're a wonderful magazine also in the space of holistic living and conscious. conscious yeah. Life. And it was, it was just a great, just amazing experience. And it was just like, I was like on cloud nine that they would put an activist on the front of their magazine. I was just really thrilled and honored. When I uh, got wind of it being out, I went to Barnes and Noble and picked it up and I was just so excited and I shared it out to everybody and was like, hey, look at this, our mission, our mission is getting spread. Um, look, it's, it's growing, this is so amazing. Thank you so much for you know, supporting me and just thanked the Food Babe Army for it. And what happened, I just couldn't believe my wildest dreams. Like I, I just, it was a situation where Anytime I'm featured in mainstream media and I would share it, there's a group of people online that would catch wind of this. And they were all being organized by a PR firm and by corporate interests to, um, that were either pro-chemical or pro-food additive. Um, and it was a group of people that bounded together online to make sure that anytime I was featured anywhere that they would attack the publication, they would attack in the comments section, they would completely overrun it with negative comments about me to try to persuade people or people who are didn't know who I was or what I was doing to, to persuade them to believing a certain thing about me, whether you know I'm taking this out, way out of hand, I'm a fear monger, I'm pseudoscientific, I, I have no scientific background. They would make all of these kind of statements um, to try to um, attack me as a messenger and to discredit me. And they did this actually to Experience Life magazine after I was on the cover. They took over their Facebook page they drove their four and a half star rating on Amazon down to two stars um, with negative reviews. Within days. Negative fake reviews of, I mean, these people don't read Experience Life magazine, right? If they had read Experience Life magazine, then they wouldn't be acting this way because right. <laughs> just the type of people who read that magazine are really like, wouldn't act like trolls, right? And would believe in real food and food without added chemicals and, you know, want to hold these food companies accountable. So these were all being driven by corporate interests. Not only did they um, attack this magazine, but they they convinced reporters to write negative articles about me too, and they would that they themselves would sometimes get featured in these. And these were hired experts by Monsanto and other big food conglomerates. And you know, it wasn't until uh, 
after my book came out and a lot of these articles started to be published and I started to really understand like, wow, you know, I'm really affecting along with the army of people that believe this, you know, millions and millions of dollars that the food industry is, is losing. I mean, as a result of our campaigns, they've got to try to stop us. Of course they've got to stop us. Dealing with that backlash was very um, saddening to me, you know, because I, I didn't know how to deal with it at first. I found myself trying to look on Amazon for books on how to deal with like public criticism, right? This is and another one you're going to have to write. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I want to write this book. This is maybe your next book. I, I definitely want to write a book on how to deal with haters because uh, I learned so much through that process, not only about how to said, deal with them. Know, I mean, what you've been through is enough to shut someone down. Oh, it's yeah. really enough, you know, to just say like, okay, I give up. White foot, you know, yeah, white, white yeah. foot. Because also, it's not just you. People who support you are being punished. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's the power of lobbyists. That's yeah, the power. They would shame. Of... They actually would online shame anyone who would support me. So not yeah. only if it was a magazine supporting me or a media article supporting some of my accomplishments, it would be even if someone said, "Hey, I love the food babe. Here's this article she wrote. Isn't this interesting information? Everyone needs to read this." And in the comments, you'd see online trolls shame the person for sharing something from me, saying, "Don't you know she's an idiot? She's a bimbo." You know, they'd make up everything they could possibly could about me to get someone to their focus you know take their focus their eye off the ball not talk about the ingredients or the food companies and all the unethical policies that are happening or all the things that I've uncovered in investigations about the harmful ingredients in a lot of these foods they didn't want the discussion to be about that they didn't want the discussion to be about the actual science they wanted they didn't the want the discussion to be about why should we be eating chemicals that are in yoga mats yep Yep. They didn't want the discussion no, to be they about did. that. And if they had, it would have been great because we right. would have had this lively debate and it would have been amazing. Right. But instead, they astroturfed not only my Facebook page that has over a million fans so that you can only imagine what a testament it shows to people who actually really do care about this issue, but also just the threat to the food industry of like, oh my goodness, this person online has this many people that follow them. They really can get this message out very quickly. And so they were very threatened by that. And they were so threatened that they had to do something about it. And I didn't understand the measures that they were willing to go through until I started the research for this book and looking at the data and the research that I'd gotten from Freedom of Information Request Acts and getting right. emails that, that would, were that are in public. The they're in the book. They're in the book. Yeah, right. they're, they're in the book. And emails from uh, different uh, experts that were quoted to um, really be the antagonist in all of these different articles and seeing where their motivations lied. And it was right there in black and white. These people were being paid by the very companies I was targeting. Right. So this, I just, I'm just going to reiterate it because I think it was such an important thing about this book. You have the names, the companies, the emails, the data, the trail. Now do with it what you, what you choose, yep. right? And again, like you said, it's a conversation. People have the right to know the truth yeah. about what's in their food. People have the right to know that they can heal. People have the right to know that their body has an innate ability to heal itself when supported. Yep. This is very, very real, this astroturfing and these internet trolls and this backlash. And the only time we've actually come in contact with this prior was with Dr. Kelly Brogan, who had the audacity to tell people that they could get off their meds and that they could heal themselves naturally. Now again, Best Self Magazine does not dole out uh, medical advice. Yeah. But we try to spark conversation. Yep. It's about connecting the dots to your own life, like connecting to your own wisdom. Yeah. Like, am I on a slew of prescription meds? Am I sluggish? Am I feeling, you know, overweight, unhappy, depressed? Like, what am I eating? It's about a conversation. Yep. And we have a right to that information, right? Yep. Absolutely. I think astroturfing is a great name 
It's a, it's a, it's a perfect name. Yeah, it wasn't, know? it wasn't something that I coined. Mm -hmm. Um, this woman, Cheryl Atkinson, I learned about this concept from, and, and she does an amazing Ted talk actually on astroturfing. If you want to learn more. Oh, I do. What is it? Um, uh, Cheryl Atkinson is her name okay. and it's a Ted talk on astroturfing. And she really explains what happens. And this doesn't just happen with the food and chemical industry. It's every industry. Right. Right. Um, they're trying to do whatever they can to try to hide the negative effects of their industry and weave the message that they want to weave into the public. So how have you stayed the course? Like how have you not thrown in the towel? There's been points in time where I wanted to, you know, um, when I was going through a lot of this backlash uh, in the media and I was trying to convince these reporters like look into these experts they're being paid by the food industry right. and they would they would they would say hey you know we asked them and they said no and and it's like and we asked the company if this food was healthy and they said yes <laughs> <laughs> exactly right, right. Okay. exactly and and it's like we have to dig deeper you know mm -hmm. if we really want to find the truth about what's happening so, you know, the first thing I did was I turned off Google alerts because no matter if someone said anything nice about me or negative about me, I didn't want it to affect my daily work because really I had to think about why I started, mm -hmm. remembering why I started. And it's so that nobody feels like I used to feel. And to also learn that the way the food industry markets themselves is to get us to do one thing, and that is to buy their food. Again, it's, yeah. and again, and again. Yeah, again, and again, and again, whether it means creating addictive additives with right. flavorings that I talk about in the book, or getting us to um, buy into some healthy marketing message. And then realizing that the majority of chemicals that have been invented in the last 50 years have only been invented for one sole purpose, which is to improve the bottom line of the food industry. Recognizing that, and, and saying, you know, not everyone knows about this. No, not everyone knows about the ingredients in their food. These foods are still being sold all over the place. And it's not until everyone's eating real, whole, nutritious food and at least eating an abundant of it. Maybe some processed foods here and there for fun, right. fun eating, right? right? That's what Mary Nestle always says. She goes, there's right. certain foods that are fun to eat, right? Yeah, it's not even about being a purist, right? But yeah. it is also about the information of knowing that, you know what, things, we, we, we joke, oh, I'm addicted to Doritos. Well, you know what? There's something in Doritos that will make you addicted to them if you actually eat, keep eating them, yeah. right? Yeah. So, you know, and it's amazing to me that people will attack you. I mean, they have a choice to take the information or not take the information, incorporate it or not. But you are certainly ruffling feathers and definitely upsetting a lot of, a lot of people. Now we have this information that's like, what are we supposed to do with all of this? Like, what can we do? What's our big takeaway, you know, given all this confusion? You know, perhaps someone wouldn't even know where, like myself, I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah, yeah. So the only, you know, the, it's funny because food's not that complicated, right? The only people that have made it complicated are, are actually the food scientists that have right. created all of these different processed foods. And so at the, at the end of the book, I take the reader through a very simple exercise, and I call it the three-question detox. And it, is, it sounds so simple when I describe it but it will have such a profound impact on what you're eating. If you just ask yourself these three simple questions every single time, you're choosing what to eat and you sit down to eat. And the first question is, what are the ingredients? You really gotta understand what you're eating. You gotta know every single ingredient that you're eating. And if you don't know the ingredient, I want you to put the product away. Put and if the, you can't pronounce away. it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you can't pronounce right. it, you probably don't even know what it is either. I mean, there's a lot of things I can't pronounce that I know what are, right? I know what they are, but, um, but yeah, if you don't know what, why you're eating that ingredient, if it does, you know, then you need to not eat it. That's how, what, what I really truly believe. And so the second thing you ask yourself is, are these ingredients nutritious? And so you may know that there's natural flavor in your product or that there's this um, preservative in your product or there's a emulsifier like gargum in your product that you're eating or you're, you know, it's in your coconut milk or whatever. But I want you to ask yourself, is that ingredient nutritious? And you'll start to say, hmm, <laughs> is it nutritious? Is it actually nutritious? And you'll start to make these, these, these connections in your head and you'll start to see, oh, wow, there's a lot of ingredients that I'm eating every single day that aren't nutritious. They're just there, again, to improve the bottom line of the food industry or to create some texture or mouthfeel or some uniformity or in, improve shelf life of this product. It's not really for my health. 
And then the third question that I want people to ask is where do these ingredients come from? Do they come from a laboratory in a chemical factory that food scientists are making? Are they coming from a factory farm from cows that are fed growth hormone and raised on routine antibiotics that fatten them up? You know, where's your food coming from? And once you start to ask yourself those three fundamental questions every single time you go out to eat or sit down to eat or cooking your food and looking at what products you're bringing into your house, you will make better choices. And you also give lots of suggestions, like um, really empowering us to claim our own voices in this, right? Yes. So demand food regulation, demand food transparency, sniff out the truth, you know, look at who's funding the research. And I, I love this one, follow the money. Yeah. And vote with your dollars. Yeah, That's absolutely. Somewhere in the book you said, if we were all eating real food, the big food companies would be out of business. Yeah, right. they would. So I um, would love to know, you know, you have a young child and how fortunate she is to be raised in, you know, she's just came into this world and she's going to, she's being fed real food and that's going to give her a great advantage in her health going forward. If you could wave a magic wand right now, just in your work and in, in this arena in general, what would you wish for? I probably would wish, you, know, you mentioned my daughter, and um, I'm always having this discussion all the time. People are like, what are you gonna do when she goes to school? Because you're not gonna- <laughs> Going with her. <laughs> she's not gonna have your fridge and your pantry there. Right. You know, she, you know you, she might take her lunch, but she's gonna have lots of other options, right? And you know, wouldn't it be great to just magically wave my wand and just change all of school food to be real, oh. whole, nutritious food? Amen. Like, if I could, yeah, that would be it. Oh, that's that a good one. That would be it. That's a really, really good one. All schools everywhere. <laughs> so I know I could sit here and talk to you, you know, for days. I, one thing I do want to get into, I want to just talk briefly about Truvani yeah. and how you've moved into this, because I'm really excited. I'm going to pull some of these. I got, I got my own little goodie basket here, but I'd love to pull out some of the products. Just tell us really quickly why you did it, what you're doing, where you're going with it. Yeah, you know, um, for so much of my career, I was, you know, I've been fighting the food industry from the outside. Right. And um, I didn't really understand how I wanted to like change this, change me now that I've become a mom. And I really wanted to figure out a way to inspire the food industry from within. Because one of the things that I felt was necessary was to really understand how foods are manufactured behind the scenes. Because you, you really have to get that knowledge before you're really able to understand the food company's point of view and what their capabilities are and, mm -hmm. and what they can change and how fast they can change, you know, all the different things that are involved. You know, one of the things that kept happening when I would find a product I would love is it would start to change. And what I found is that a big giant company would buy up one of my small favorite organic companies and the ingredients would start to change because they'd find economies of scale. They'd find an array of other ingredients that they have access to in different supply chains. And, you know, I'd find these products changing. And one of those products was actually my turmeric supplement. And I started to see all these fillers being added to my turmeric supplement. And I just said to myself, like, wouldn't it be great if I could just create my own supplement, my own turmeric, my own products that I know are like from the best source possible? And I've always kind of had this desire and vision. I just didn't know to how to make it happen. Right. And finally had just the right people came into my life and we made it happen. And uh, it has been uh, an amazing thing. It's one of the things that I say every single morning when I wake up, I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this because it's so much more responsibility. I feel like than presenting information, like actually creating products for people. And it has been such an incredible thing to teach me about what's really happening in the food industry. Like for example, literally to, from A to Z. Yeah. From A to Z, you know, I thought I knew a lot. I've learned way more in this last year about what's really happening behind the scenes. And it's really um, strengthened my resolve actually to eliminate even more processed foods from my diet because of 
just the contamination within the supply chain, even organic foods that I've learned. I mean, to create our protein powder, we have the cleanest protein powder on the market. I mean, it's got the chocolate version has six ingredients. The vanilla has five. And this is like Christmas uh, on the couch. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Not only is it USDA certified organic, we test for heavy metals. And, you know, we were testing for heavy metals for pea protein. And every single pea protein source that we came across was failing our lead test, failing, failing. We went wow. through 52 different suppliers until we found a clean version of pea protein that hadn't been uh, contaminated with not a conventional pea protein. And so knowing that that's happening out there and knowing that, whoa, I was consuming a lot of different other brands and are they do thinking doing it was healthy? Yeah, thinking it was like clean and healthy and right. safe. And, you know, are these other brands going through these type of rigorous tests? And a lot of them aren't. And so it makes me really proud to know that I've created a company that truly believes in like the safest ingredients. And right. and we don't believe in any unnecessary ingredients too. Like, you know, I'm always getting pitched from our manufacturer and others like, hey, what do you think about this ingredient? Because it's going to extend the shelf life of this, you know, one of the things I've always wanted to create is a bar. We just haven't been able to do it yet. You the way a bar? A bar, yeah. Like a, a food bar. Oh, I was like a bar. We're going to go have some wine. No, 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 no. <laughs> Maybe organic wine one yeah. day, but um, you know, you know, a bar, and uh, we haven't been able to create it the way See, I want to create it yet does. because uh, it's just too expensive. I, I can't sell like everyone a fifteen dollar bar, so right. we're still working on that. But it has been just an enormous amount of like just pride that I have in these products. I mean, it's been incredible. I mean, each one of these products was created out of my own necessary need of things that I needed in my life, like this chicken bone broth. It's so funny, you know. This is something that. I would make from scratch um, every month or so and freeze in different ball jars. And then I would take out um, different um, ball jars from my freezer and thaw them for my daughter to drink, um, especially like if she got sick or something. And I would travel with it. I would like pack it in a Yeti cooler. And I was like, this is a lot of work. Not everyone can do this. No one has the right. time to do this. I barely, you can, you I, barely, do it. I barely have the time to do this, right. but I know it's so important. And I was like, you know, wouldn't it be great to have an organic chicken bone broth powder that could travel with you and go with you anywhere and you could use and just sip with hot water. And so that's why we created this. And, and this, tell me about this. Yeah, so marine collagen is amazing because I am aging. <laughs> I'm turning 40 in just a couple I'm months. i drink this. <laughs> and you know, collagen production in your skin goes down every single year that you age. And it's the thing that keeps sprinkles away. And it's just one of those Where things Where was that's really this tough. 10 years ago? Yeah, I know. And it's, it's, it's something that, you know, a lot of skin um, companies try to put in their products to like apply topically but they've they've noticed that it doesn't absorb in the body as well as when you drink it and so how, how much do you recommend it's to, just a little scooper in there so every yeah. day yeah every day and what's this one um this one's vanilla Ooh. protein this is like my favorite i think this is this is probably my favorite product because it just it tastes so good it is literally only five ingredients, and it's ingredients that you recognize, you use in your own kitchen. What a concept. It's amazing. Beautiful so. packaging. Yeah. Congratulations about thank this. You. And honestly, thank you for doing this and for staying the course. Um, and it seems like such a natural evolution for you. There was something I also read that I would like to invite you to read. Um, again, just to celebrate the Food Babe Army, but I would love it if you would read um, a portion, um, I have it printed out, a portion of the Food, food Babe Army mission uh, so that people really understand what it is that you stand for and what your, what your vision is. Yeah, absolutely. Our mission is to create a healthier world full of the most nutritious, safe, and wholesome food to feed ourselves and our families. We create public awareness about what's in food, how to make the right purchasing decisions at the grocery store, and how to live an organic lifestyle in this over-processed world. We inspire change in the food industry, beginning within our local communities and expanding into the largest worldwide food corporations. In demanding that food manufacturers and retailers provide organic and nutritious food, we open the door for a greater supply of good, affordable food in a world around us. Collectively, we have the power to change the world. Yes, thank you. I mean, that says it all. I don't know who can argue with that. And again, I wanna thank you for 
tirelessly staying the course on this bumpy road. Um, we're all the better for it. Congratulations on your success and congratulations on this, really this incredible book. Um, I think this is gonna make a huge uh, splash and really shine a light on a path that needs to be shown on. So thank you. Uh, and again, thank you for sitting down and sharing with us today. Thank you so much. I'm forever grateful. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Learn more at bestselfmedia.com.